Coming up on the show this week, a bunch of topics across the men's and women's games from the Kubuka tournament, Sandeep's visa struggles and the match fee dramas in Nepal, all conquering Catherine Bryce and some news on the T20 World Cup and more. But first, a shout out to our Emerging Cricket patrons who help us do what we do. If you're passionate about cricket in the associate world and beyond, you can help us grow from as little as $2 a month by becoming an Emerging Cricket patron. To sign up, log into Patreon. That's patreon.com slash emerging cricket. As always, Nick and Tim join me for this one. Enjoy yet another EC pod. Welcome again to the Emerging Cricket Podcast online and on Sport FM in Perth. I'm Daniel Bazic, and as always, I'm joined by Tim Cutler and Nick Skinner. First to Tim in Vila on another beautiful evening over there. How are you, good sir? I'm good, continuing to sweat, as uh, one could expect, but uh, very well here. Five weeks in, well, like seven if you count the uh, two weeks in purgatory, uh, but I'm well, Daniel. How are you, sir? Yeah, good. Uh, not a whole lot to report on, nothing particularly exciting going on just uh yeah doing my bit for for the emerging cricket movement and everything else out there uh the game never really stops we've had european club cricket action go on of course we had super league finish last week so great to have ryan campbell last week to wrap all of that as well if you haven't listened to that make sure you do as well chatted a a bunch of different things not only about the, the two victories out of three games but I think, too, just that the level of where Dutch cricket is at the moment. We also did try to sell emerging cricket on the front of that shirt. Uh, I don't think it went down amazingly well, but everyone else can be the, the judge of that. <laughs> uh, Nick, how's things going over there? The, the pod, everything doesn't really stop here. We, we'll talk about Kubuka in a, in a moment to probably get started, but uh, how, how's things over there? Oh, always always cricket to watch. and uh, Well, I mean, it's, it's back now, which is good. Um, and... Uh, yeah, I, I've just got some um, got my electricity bill and regos coming up, so I've been looking nervously at my bank account. But um, other than that, nothing, nothing too uh, major going on. Uh, yeah, I can, I can look, I can get around that in that we're dealing with with rent and joint accounts at the moment and trying to work out what's best in in doing all of that. And it's the last thing you think about. And then when you get a message from uh, the real estate agent saying in arrears or something like that, that's when you realize, oh yeah, I've actually got, you know, responsibilities in this life, unfortunately. <laughs> Can't just watch so cricket So are you just day. considering to get a joint account at the moment? No, 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 no we've got one. It's a big, big step in the relationship. Oh, okay. I was, was going to okay. say, that's a yeah, big step. Yeah, we've got one. Yeah. We've had one for, for quite a while now, but there seems to be a communication breakdown as to how much money from each of us goes into that and how we address actually <laughs> using it. And there's a bit of a threshold because I, I, I eat more than Mel, right? The, let's make no bones about this. <laughs> so there are times when the groceries are bought where there is a little bit of conjecture as to how that is actually split. And sometimes I'll go to Coles or Woolies by myself and... Yeah, look, as tempted as I am to use the joint <laughs> yeah, card, like hiding chocolate I, probably, in the, uh... I probably shouldn't be. And I, to be fair, I haven't really used the joint card yet. And look, Mel will likely not be listening. But uh, yeah, I've been I've been good so far. I see a red dot on your forehead at the moment. It's moving down to your chest. <laughs> so laser pointer is well, out. I, I, I was going to say, this is, this is good chat. You know, we haven't gone on a 
good tangent and an introduction for a long time. You know, we haven't done a movie review. I was just review. about to say that I watched a really good movie the other day. Oh, well, actually... No, Nick. No, Nick. The people don't want to know what you watched. You, you liked Ad Astra, okay? Be quiet. I stand by that. <laughs> yes, and that's why we don't like you. No. Um, I, I, that, that's a good question, Bez. I, I think we could throw it out, you know, like... We, could, we ask cricket questions to the crowd normally, to, to the listeners, but uh, that's a good one about how people do that. I think the, the split down the middle is a good one. And, you know, if you do a big shop, uh, you just you just got to do it and then throw it all in. I, I think that's a good way to go. Um, and I do like that you're not buying your dodgy little sidearms on the joint account. <laughs> you're uh, probably avoiding a lot of conflict. <laughs> those those and shares, they're coming out of my account. So what, what do you do with the differential in, in pays, though? Do you just put the, the same amount of money towards those expenses or are you adjusting it for, for no, who's no, earning no. more? We're, yeah, that, everything's even in that, yeah, we're, we're paying the same amount for rent and the same amount for, for all the bills. Did see a really good movie though, Baby Done, another Kiwi film, Rose Matafeo and, and Matthew Lewis who everyone would know as Neville Longbottom from the Harry Potter series. He's all grown up and looking completely different. Another good Kiwi film. Tim, I know we bonded over Hunt for the Wilder People a few months ago. I think I was knee-deep in, in Oh, BBL what a great cricket. film. If anyone great. hasn't seen that, that one. just yeah. look. This is the only time I'll stop you. I'll t- only time I'll tell you to turn the podcast off, but turn the podcast off. Go to the nearest televisual apparatus <laughs> and turn it on. I wait for it to warm up because you've got the cathode rays you've got to warm up and then put on Hunt for the Wilder People. It, it is what a great a film. film. Sam Neill. Sam Neill in one of his greatest roles ever and just wow. Anyway, Julian sorry, Dennison carry on, Daniel. does a really good job in that film too. Anyway. Ricky uh, Baker. Oh, Ricky Baker. <laughs> no, I'm like Sarah Connor after she did chin-ups. <laughs> no, you're not. <laughs> <laughs> That'll make sense to hopefully a lot of people that have watched it and the people that haven't, hopefully we haven't uh, ruined it for you. Do you think that everybody knows we don't have a guest yeah. this week yet? Well, a lot of people seem to like the, the pods without the guests too and we haven't had an EC mailbag oh. in a while so that might be something that's in, in the pipeline in the not-too-distant future. But yes, let's talk about some emerging cricket that did go on last week. The Kwabuka Women's Tournament. Uh, one of our favourite competitions in the calendar, not only for its its cultural uh, and historical significance, but also for, for the action. We don't really see too many tournaments like this in women's international cricket outside of global events or, or qualifiers or anything like that. So for us to have the Kwabuka Women's Tournament is great for us. It was meant to be a six-team tournament. Came down to five, unfortunately, with Uganda pulling out due to uh, a few COVID issues there. And we send all our thoughts to, to everyone there. It, it's been, well, as we know, for, for so long, it's been really difficult for, for a lot of people in a lot of different ways. And, and we hope that, that things meet some sort of a resolve soon. But we did see a, a surprise, Nick, uh, in Kenya, defeating Namibia in the final of the Kwabuka Women's Tournament, Rwanda finishing third. I think for us, and, and we know while Kenya was more than capable of pulling off this tournament victory, I think with the lack of cricket they've had in previous years, and you compound that with, I think how strong Namibia have been in that region for a while and, and been the, the representative at, at global qualifiers from Africa I think a lot of people probably hadn't earmarked uh, this result happening we saw Kenya with the surprise and and a couple of big individual performers in all of that as well well Kenya were a a late entrant Um, they they originally weren't on the roster at all and then then they sort of got um, 
they got their act together and, and you know, obviously some managed to find the, the resources to, to get on a plane to Kigali um, and sort of almost replacing Uganda, really, because obviously, as you said, they couldn't make it due, due to coronavirus problems. Um, but, yeah, as you allude to, most of these teams haven't really played any cricket for a couple of years now. So it's sort of an interesting um, gauge of where everyone's at. And, yeah, we, we saw Namibia cruise through the group stage, they beat Kenya very comfortably, beat everyone else very comfortably, um, and and then just kind of fell apart really in in that um, that final. We, you know, Sarah Watoto six for sixteen with some loopy off spin that it, it it's it's sort of a bit tricky. It's one of those ones you know it looks very hittable, and quite a few of the dismissals seem to be people that were you know seem to be players that were trying a bit too hard to hit it. Um, you know, the, the very first one, someone um, someone tried to sweep it and just got a top edge. And I remember <laughs> Irene Van Zale, I played all around a very slow one and, and hit it on the back pad, LBW. So, you know, I think it was it was tricky to play with Toto's balls because they're sort of above the eye line and it was, it was dipping quite a lot. But yeah, very interesting, almost a kind of... Um, Poonam Yadav style, very, very slow, very loopy. But, um, yeah, she also grabbed a five for against Botswana. So, you know, an interesting um, prospect to keep an eye on. But I think Namibia will be very disappointed not to win the tournament because they were so dominant. And um, looking sort of throughout their group stage, obviously, you know, um, Sune Wittmann, who topped the run charts, and um, Arasta Diechart, she looked really solid. And, and she seems a very good prospect at you know, just 20 years of age, very technically correct and, and, and upright. Um, and yeah, again, the Namibian bowling lineup, Wilka Motile really impressed me with some some springy seam bowling. Irene Fanzale, Canny as always, Victoria Hamaniela bowling off spin and, and Sylvia Shehepo, their all-time leading wicket taker. They, you know, the, so they shared the wickets around. I just think it, it, it's, it's a bit strange because Namibia looked streets ahead of the other teams but we know from their performance at the global qualifiers that they they were you know they're off the pace compared to the top associates and and they really struggled there so i, I don't know if it's a mental thing or you know in in um the interview that we did with Irene Fonsale, she talked about the new coach trying to instill a, a sense of you know fearless cricket and and they did look a lot um a lot more kind of free-flowing in, in the way they were playing so maybe maybe that's it was more of a mental block but yeah, because uh, yeah, it's 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 strange. You know, someone like a Wilkin Motile looked significantly faster um, than most of the other bowlers, but then you know you, you you go to the next level up, and and she'll look quite slow compared to some of the the other bowlers. So yeah, it's it, it's strange seeing, I guess, uh, a good regional team beating you know other regional teams um, when. We know that internationally they they might struggle a bit, but hopefully it's it's signs that they've they've turned a corner and they'll be more competitive at, at that next sort of global level. It's one of the most beautiful grounds in the world, Nicholas. I didn't get to to watch it unfortunately, but mm. how did the pitch play at the Gahanga Stadium? It held up pretty well. You know, they they played a lot of games on it um, in a pretty short. It was the tournament was over in about a week or so, and you know it was a round robin. Five teams all played each other, the semi-finals and a final, and you know there was still getting decent bounce. The slow bowlers. It, you know, Watoto, it wasn't that she was getting ripping turn or that it wasn't, you know, it was, it was just a dead pitch. It was more, yeah, she was beating people in the air with the loop. So, yeah, I think it was it was a good good ground, good venue. 
Um, they actually got some crowd in by the looks of things, which was which was quite nice. Had a decent um, you know atmosphere in in the last couple of games, the, the semi final and the final. So yeah, that was good. Um, I, I think would have been good maybe if Rwanda could have pushed through to the final and given the home home crowd something to cheer for. But um, I think third's probably a, a reasonable uh, kind of finish for them based on where they're at, the sort of middle of the table for African women at the moment. I just wonder, as you're talking about Namibia, you know, reflecting on their performance at the, the, the World Cup qualifier in Scotland and then seeing that they look really good in this tournament. Is, do you think it's an African cricket thing? Is African women's cricket behind the rest of the world? Like, it's a hard one to talk about because, you know, I know we lament rankings. You know, I look at East Asia Pacific as an example, and you've got PNG and Samoa 14 and 15 respectively I think that I've got those numbers right might be a little bit a little bit less Indonesia 20 and Vanuatu 28 um, and then Asia with a lot of those the sort of top 30 spots a, a, as well do, do you think that maybe Africa's a little bit behind from from watching this and then reflecting on, on Namibia I don't know if Africa's behind overall but I, yeah it's, it's sort of it would be interesting to see Namibia play against Vanuatu or, you know, Rwanda play against PNG and just sort of get a tournament like this, you know, in, in terms of um, the the way that it's um, bringing together the regional teams. It, it would be interesting to see a, a kind of higher level, maybe the top two teams from this playing against like a Brazil and a, and a Samoa or something and just, just to see where they're all at because, as you said, the rankings are kind of hard to really use as as a reliable metric of of you know comparing teams that very rarely play each other but yeah i i don't know i, I think i would definitely say that namibia looked better here but i can't really tell if that's because they were playing against you know lower ranked opposition or or if it is because they've improved in the sort of year and a half two years since that global qualifier um potentially a bit of both yeah it's it's really hard isn't it you know, we get to see the men play against each other in, in T20, regional and global qualifiers, but we've also got the 50-over leagues that have been there for, for a couple of decades now. And you, you have a bit of a a feel for, you know, if Denmark's... I was going to say playing against Jersey. It's like, no, they're both in Europe, Jim. You know, Denmark playing against Uganda. You know, you've got a, you've got a feel because you've seen them play against each other and they've, they've had a history, even if it's a few years apart. I think that's what we're really missing with women's cricket, that... You know, one can only hope, well, one can only hope a lot of things that, you know, the ICC increase the number of teams in women's T20 World Cups, but we see more cross-regional competitions outside of the qualification campaigns when it gets to the, the very pointy end. You know, it's these teams, ultimately, you'd like to hope that they're not only playing against each other in global qualifiers, because it's going to be really hard. We have these siloed ranking systems um, that... Uh, could make it really hard for the, these teams to, to get a measure of where they're at and also to, to get better and, and for more entertaining cricket because you know to see, to see some of these cross-regional matches get played and, and, and to see some, some rivalries build up. But um, yeah, it's, it's an interesting one. We love that, that global qualifier so much for, for obvious reasons with, with Thailand going through, but that shouldn't be the only time we get to see these teams play against each other. Yeah, and, and that's, that's why... Um the the Kubuka is such a good tournament because it is bringing together these teams from from Africa, which often 
um, even within the region, they, they have trouble scheduling games that aren't, you know, on the back of ICC tournaments. So I think it would be... I, I saw some chat a little while ago that they were interested in bringing the Brazilian women to, to play at the Kubuka, um just as a way of trying to increase the standard, which I think that would be a, a really good initiative. And, and um, it, it would be great to sort of see where they where they fit into the, the, the quality. And, you know, Namibia against Brazil, I think, would be a very interesting game. Yeah, or a UAE or an Indonesia. You know, I, th- I think Thailand, mm, of course, mm. but I think Thailand might sort of run away with it. But someone, you know, a team or two from other regions, that, that, that was great. I, I didn't read that, but that would be superb, especially for all the great work that Brazil's done. And not not to forget Kenya, you know, we've talked a lot about Namibia just now, but uh, again, they, they've really played in that last couple of years. So, and they, you know, we've their, their um, administrative problems are, are well known and well documented. Um, so, I, I think it's, it's, it is hard to know whether, you know, they, they came, I think it was third in the African qualifiers, which which Namibia went through, albeit um, after losing to Zimbabwe and you know, Zimbabwe got suspended, but I think Kenya struggled in that tournament. So I don't know if this is just a sort of flash in the pan or if they've they've improved in in the last couple of years. It's it's quite interesting, you know. Looking looking at associate cricket coming out of the pandemic, there's a number of teams that sort of haven't really played much, and, and we don't really know what, where, where where they're up to. Um, oh, and, I was thinking yeah. the same thing. It's almost like the Iron Curtain of, of <laughs> yeah. some of these places that, that you know, that be, it, but Kenya's like that. You know, we don't see any... They're, they're not on social media. They don't put out anything. We don't see any press releases. And then they send their women's team to Kwabuka. As you mentioned, the last time we seen them finishing down the table in 2018, and, and they win. It's the, like, the what's going on? In, in uh, Kenya. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I, I can I can imagine uh, Mr. Nixon coming like coming up with the idea of of a uh, of a drawing or something, or definitely Nate. But I think I, I can just see Nixon do something. <laughs> but no, I think that's well, in some ways it's a it's a great thing. But in others, it's like why, why aren't we hearing about this? You know, why aren't we seeing about the work that the women's team in Kenya are doing before going? I know that you might not want to let your opposition know, but this is this is a great story, um, and it should be more more than just us us talking about it because you know Kenya is is that name that gets brought up all the time isn't it that you know go 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 ICC go 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 Kenya you know yeah. <laughs> but you know the story is a lot more complex than uh, than people give it credit for but it's like this is this is a good news story we, we should we should have been hearing about this but uh, yeah it's a funny one who else is going to come out and, and really surprise us that's like uh, with the, these qualifying tournaments coming up you know hopefully they get played um, hopefully there's a few more stories like that and on the point of publicity they've only got to look to, to some of their neighbours as inspiration for all that we've seen the push that Namibia have made in both men's and women, women's cricket over the last probably two, two and a half years and to look at, at Uganda who were nominated for ICC Global Development Awards for, for some of their initiatives too So, and to look at the, the tournament for, for Kenya let's not forget and you look at the at the run scoring table for the the tournament, and yes, three of the top four players are from Namibia. But if you take it down to the top six, there's three Kenyans in that group as well. So it's it's not as if this was a a one off occasion. Um, number of key performers, uh, Abel and Gotch Abuga, all with the bat for for Kenyan. We we talked about Watoto, especially with the ball, and Punam Yadav was a really good comparison there that that Nick made, but. Yeah, again, you know, they might not be allowed to travel, you know, across continents, but 
if we can keep holding tournaments like this and keep this competition going because this is ultimately probably the best thing for Namibia was to, to lose this game in the Kabuka final, to to gain that, that competitiveness and to have that competition of, of continental cricket. You know, the best thing for Namibia might be a strong Kenya or a strong Rwanda. So, look, we, we look forward to, to more tournaments of this nature in the future and, and Kubuka, you would think, would continue to be a yearly event. And we cross our fingers to, to see a, a qualifier uh, in Africa in the offing. We'll believe it when we see it. And, you know, with, with everything going on, we, we hope to see it. But the best thing for, for Namibia, probably, who have been the leading light over the last couple of years in African women's cricket, is, is a strong Africa. Because, you know, without a strong Africa, the rising tide floats all boats, the Peter Delapena analogy. And we can also bless the rains down there as oh, well. We can. <laughs> is that a Watoto reference to? <laughs> Very good. <laughs> oh, I tell you, I tell you what. For an unrehearsed, uh, we call it a joke. I don't know. We'll just call. Of course, we can. You know, we run this podcast. We can cut that. That was pretty good. Bang, Let's bang, bang. Let's hold the line on that one uh, because we've got some uh, more news going on in in the world of associate cricket. Hold the line. Kabuka isn't always on time. <laughs> <laughs> so one one last story I think worth mentioning is that uh, we saw tall Eric from Rwanda, uh, Eric Dusabamungu, umpiring some of the games, and and you know obviously yeah, he certainly merits his nickname towering over the, uh, the the players there as he was officiating. But that's that's nice to see him, you know, still involved and and sort of giving back to the game um, after he retired I think a year or two ago from from playing for Rwanda after. Um, a, 15-year-plus career in, um, in, in in Rwandan cricket. Over to Nepal and a couple of stories that have come out from there over the last week or so. We'll start with Sandeep Lamachane, who was denied a visa to play in the Blast, or not so much denied, but was so delayed uh, in his application that he'll miss so much of the tournament that he won't take part. He is still slated to take part for the 100 uh, there were some clear frustrations he took to Facebook uh, to vent to social media. He pointed his finger at, at the government and the lack of uh, effort and endeavour for him to get his deal across the line. Uh, I understand that they have to organise all of that uh, through a high commission in New Delhi, I believe. They don't run one out of Nepal or, or London. So a pretty frustrating uh point in his career it's been a tricky year for him thus far not playing in the IPL let go by Delhi Uh, he did play in the CPL did play in the BBL but to to have that chance cruelly denied and and we thought that that was going to be a a bit of a trailblazing uh, piece of business there considering associate players and and the lack of participation in county cricket albeit in T20 blast cricket Uh, it's a frustrating time for for Sandeep and, and you know, you, you do wonder uh, if the powers that be were acting a little bit more diligently. We might have seen this deal over the line at some point. Tough one, Bez. What do you reckon? I know you spent the time to, to watch his Facebook Live video. What's the actual story here? What, where Where's the delay happened? Because it's all quite confusing. Had he sent his documents in in time, the delay happened in the... The satellite office in 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 Delhi was it a problem with on the UK side because it does not. Compute. Yeah, look, it wasn't particularly clear, and yeah, in the 
I think it was a 21-minute Facebook video. I, I think there was only maybe four or five sentences in, in English and I didn't get a chance to, to check in with people in regards to translating some of it. But from what I can gather, it was just a case of either he or his management team and the, the High Commission in New Delhi were not on the same page, probably literally as well as figuratively on on a lot of all of this and whether or not he actually submitted everything that he thought he had to submit, either he, he didn't do that or whoever it was entrusted to, to push those documents across to the people that needed to see it didn't do it in time. I just don't think from the outside looking in that, you know, someone would be denied the chance to, to represent, well, represent their country, albeit in a in a domestic tournament to represent Nepal on the on the international scale because we know when he had issues with his CPL visa via traveling via the USA the the public outcry was enough for all of that to accelerate so that makes me think that it might have actually been on on the other end not from Sandeep's end where the issue stems from so yeah as tricky as it is and, and we know that they play a very different game in, in terms of you know, documentation and, and how regimented things are. The bottom line of all of this is that Sandeep misses a golden opportunity to probably play eight to ten games of T20 Blast cricket and to continue building on his credentials. And it would have been, and as much as the traditionalists are going to hate me saying this, it would have been a really good platform for him to go into the 100 and play in an eight-team competition where their perceived quality was probably going to be a little bit stronger. And again, it would have been a really good test of, of, of his medal on the next stage and associate cricket as a result of that, not only for him and for Nepal, but ultimately for all the associate members because he is representing all the associate members of the ICC when he plays in tournaments like this, whether he likes it or not, it's ultimately a loss to associate cricket, him not being able to play in that tournament. Yeah, it, it's frustrating. I think, I mean, we've seen sort of bureaucratic issues like this affecting other associate players. Um, Anshi Rath being chief among them, but even before that, when Afghanistan was still associates, um, there, there was some interest in, in some of their players, but they, they had trouble signing them up to county deals because of um, various rules around associate teams. And so it's it's an ongoing issue in England, and some of that's to do with the government, and some of that's to do with the ECB. And um, yeah, I, I think just it would be good if they you know tried to make things a little easier for associate uh, players around the world to, to get a gig. Some more news out of Nepal and talking about match fees again. Once again, we know the central contract system in Nepal has been... There has been disparity in the amounts given out between the men and the women. It seems to have reared its head again, albeit through... We've said albeit a lot. Albeit through match fees uh, and particularly looking at at men's one-day internationals. And this is a big topic because we don't really envisage... Nepal playing too many women's one-day internationals but Nick and talking to Dipesh Pandit as well who who first reported on this at Emerging Cricket it might well have been an exclusive actually you know without trying to throw that word too uh, <laughs> liberally around too loosely yeah <laughs> there has been an increase in match fees for the men although we haven't really heard anything from the women's side of things and again to reiterate looking at, at the increase in one-day international match fees there's no real benefit there on the women's side considering that they not they might not play any one-day international cricket at all in, in the near future. 
Yeah, so as you say, this is this is coming from Depeche's story, which you should all go and read on Emerging Cricket to get the details. But basically, so they've 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 increased the match fees for the men um, to ten thousand rupees, which is roughly eighty five US dollars per match for for ODIs, and five thousand rupees, which is around forty five US dollars um, per match for T20s. Um, but the the women's players get five thousand rupees per ODI, which as you've mentioned, I mean, women's ODIs outside the sort of the top eight to ten very, very rarely happen anyway. Um, if, if they do play an ODI, they get 5,000 rupees, which is half as much as the men. And if they play a T20I, which is the main format for women, they, they get paid 3,000 instead of 5,000 for the men. And, you know, th- there are, you know, arguments around equal pay and, and, and that kind of thing. But for Nepal... Out of all the teams in the world who, who, or at least all the associate teams, to be having a you know to be having equal pay, I think they're the ones in one of the best positions to do it because, you know, as I said, that's eighty five US dollars per match for an ODI or, or forty five US dollars per match for a T twenty I. How many T twenties do they play per year? And you know, th- that's not very much because you know looking at and you know look looking at the disbursements that Nepal get from the ICC, it'd be, you know, this is very uh, back of an envelope numbers, but it'd be well over a million dollars with uh, competition grants and um, uh, various other sources of income, even, you know, private sponsorship. They're one of the few associates that can sell um, sponsorship and, and TV revenue. So they they would have a decent revenue, well well over a million dollars, let's say, Um Forty-five US dollars per match. That's that's nothing compared to the amount that they're getting. So, of all the all the, you know of all the associates who could do it, you know Nepal are best placed to do it. Um, and so it, it's just sort of I don't really understand why they wouldn't do it. You know, they they're at risk. I feel of being left behind if you look at where women's cricket in the associate world is going. That's being seen increasingly as the the vehicle for growth uh, of the game and and. and I mean, I know obviously the men's team is very successful um, and, and very popular in Nepal, so it's not not a like for like comparison with somewhere like Brazil. But you know, Brazil's professionalizing. Thailand's women obviously have, have been hugely successful. Um, I think if they don't pay their players well, they will be left behind. And and, and you know, not just from a on field perspective, but in terms of you know the development side of things. Having a women's team that wins games consistently is a requirement for full membership. So it's sort of there's the you know the equality argument, which I fully agree with. But there's also a kind of self-interest argument that they should be pumping money into this to to try and get their women's team winning games and and you know qualifying for things and getting them on on a path to full membership, which is clearly an ambition for Nepal. And I think world cricket would be. Uh, you know, enriched by having Nepal as a full member, but um, they they can't go down that path if they're not paying their women's team, I think. Couldn't agree more. And I think this could have been a free kick for them to make up for the own goal with their their contracts <laughs> last time. Sorry for the two football references. The Euros Bez, are on, it's topical. Bez brings mm. up football and I, I chastise him. And, le- and this time I, I, use, I use two in <laughs> two one in sentence. Um, you know, we we weren't happy about the disparity in the the contracts when that came out a few months ago, and this could have been a little, just a little element they could have shown. Yep, 
that we know we can do better. And then when you're talking about matters of five and ten USD, it just yeah, it, it's not it's not a good look. Um, look, every dollar is precious in associate cricket. Let's not forget that. And whilst you know, as you said, that the money coming through from the I, the ICC would you. You'd have to assume, considering where they are in terms of participation on the, and in the competition, would be well over a million. This was really something that that could have been done better, and and this only compounds it. So, the only positive I, I, I've seen is the press that it's been getting across some some Nepal agencies as well, because the more people that are talking about this, the more change can be driven, and you hit the nail on the head in terms of what they're looking for for full members full membership in the future but they're also in a region where there's there is opportunity too with extra spots in asia um and behind thailand it's really only uae at the moment i think who are kind of on a on an upward trajectory and with a number of people playing cricket in nepal it should be a no-brainer to to really trying to build a high quality women's squad and, and competitions below it we're just just wondering, Tim, where, where does Vanuatu sit in terms of women's contracts? There are a four women's players that are on a full-time contracts, and they also sit within the, the social impact team. Right. Um, yeah, as compared to, I think it's 15 men who are full-time contracted as well. Um, and they're all paid the same, apart from three men's players who get a little bit extra as, um, as senior ambassadors. So yeah, every, every everyone's paid the same across the playing group. So is that social impact team doing sort of outreach programs? Because I remember seeing this, this, some of the stuff with the health uh, initiatives. Yeah, so that's that's. I feel like you've just walked me straight into a great place to get my soapbox out, <laughs> and I promise I didn't ask for that. No, it's some of the great stuff that that we did bef- before I, I got here. We've actually got a a separate team that sits alongside our development officers, our social impact and inclusion team led by Hannah Tamata, whose background is in um, NGOs and uh, equality and inclusion programs. Uh, so we have Women's Island Cricket that's been going for well, 10 years um, come next year, and that's integrated with some educational programs which we've dubbed uh, Appeal Against Violence, which is some educational work that we go out into the schools and other community groups around children gender-based violence prevention and gender equality but at the moment it's education i think you might have seen something out push out lately about uh cyber violence and and bullying online and and we're cycling through various elements of violence to to try and educate the kids um which is which is great the fact that that sits sort of alongside cricket and isn't cricket per se but as part of the, the cricket courses, it, it, it's pretty inspiring to see that the work that had already been done, that's funded majority at the moment by the Australian government, actually, with DFAT's team-up program uh, within the Pacific, and we're looking to build that as well with other funding and and other partners. So everybody should know how to get in contact with me by, by this stage. But, yeah, that's, that's a, a really great thing that we're doing I think we're the we're, we're the only sport to have a, a separate team working uh, in that field uh, within Vanuatu 
there's quite a lot going on there. It's almost like we've got the, the CEO of Vanuatu Cricket uh, on the podcast there giving <laughs> giving his spiel. And it's also really good to, to have that perspective in terms of how teams and, and women's programs around the associate world can can kind of galvanise. So it's good to have that yardstick. And, and for Nepal, I think, yeah, it's... Controversial is not necessarily the right word, but it's definitely met with some contempt around the the circles of Nepali media because there is this inclination that, as you said, Nick, there's probably an aspiration for full member status at some point down the line and, and for them to get there, that's one great avenue. And we only need to look at, at Thailand's success as what can be shown and what can be done through through the women's game, especially in the associate world. I think when you look at the full members in women's international cricket, there is such an opportunity there and, and Thailand made the most of it. And there's no reason why Nepal can't be a Thailand. There's no reason why Vanuatu can't be a, a Thailand as well. So it's a turning point in the, in the women's international game and, and it's only going to get bigger. So why would you not want to be at the forefront of this social and, and sporting change in the international game? The opportunity's there. It, it's staring people in the face. You know, England are only just catching on to it now and they're still getting things wrong, you know, playing a test match on a, on a used surface. India, Australia, Thailand, why would you not want to move into that space? There's so many opportunities for the taking there and Nepal could easily take one of those. And at, at the other end of the spectrum where, where it all begins with sort of grassroots, I don't want to get too preachy, but I, look, we can change the world with cricket. You know, we can change the world for girls and women around the world. And here's an opportunity for Nepal to play to play their part. And there's opportunity everywhere across the associate world where take-up of cricket amongst young girls and, and giving them a chance. Well, the, the sport giving a chance at equality and, and building that within the sport and the lessons it can learn, lessons that can be taught and education around that. So it, it is disappointing to see... I, I, it's hard to call Nepal a leading associate. You know, when they get 20,000 people at their home men's games, yes, but then to see how they've treated their women's cricketers, it's really hard to call them a leading associate, but they they can be so much better. And I think that's what's really disappointing about this. Some more news in the International Women's Associate game, and it's a congratulations to a guest of the EC pod, Catherine Bryce, who's just taken out the ICC Player of the Month for May. Uh, she beat out Laura Delaney and Gabby Lewis uh, for the gong after their 3-1 series defeat to Ireland. Uh, away from home, a key performer for that Scottish team probably would have liked a little bit of help around her in terms of trying to win international matches, but between this and some more success in the Rachel Hayhoe Flint Trophy, Catherine Bryce is definitely cementing herself not only as one of the best associate women in the game, but to look at it across both full membership and associate cricket, she's quickly becoming one of the the key individual players, no matter who she's playing for, Nick. Yeah, playing for the Lightning, she's grabbed 4 for 16 and uh, knocked a 74 in a couple of games already in the, the Rachel Hayhoe Flint Trophy, and that's you know she she's one of the best all-rounders in women's cricket i think that's just just a fact and uh, we, well, this goes to show once again how vital she is for scotland um they they did lose 3-1 and she had a slightly quiet series um was was still among scotland's best players and you know as we've said it it shows a you know 
the questions of depth around Scottish cricket. But um, yeah, great for Catherine and just goes to show uh, she very much deserved the uh, ICC Player of the Decade for, for women's associate cricketers. And great to see Stair Callis scoring runs galore too. However, as all these things happen, every time the Bryce sisters do well and I see Callis do well... <laughs> I just think we're just we're just another from step another away. associate women's cricketer being stolen <laughs> into, into the full member sphere. When you said that, and no one else can see this, but on the Zoom call, we've all just had that acknowledgement <laughs> in unison because we knew exactly. You all started what you nodding. Were about to like say. I was only yeah. As soon as we see good, but it's like oh, the eye rolls. Yeah. So and. The, if you can begrudge men's players when the earning capacity for an associate men's player is a lot better, it's very hard to begrudge a, f- a female associate cricketer, isn't it? When you know, the opportunities that we, we see, and I, and, I, and I know that people can't see this, and one day we'll release videos of these Zooms because it would be fun for one and old um, because they're not sick of us already. But, yeah, look, let's hope that doesn't happen. Um and and let's hope we see fortified global league for for women's associate associate cricket. But great to see them perform at this level because at the moment, hey ho Flint trophy. Yes, even better when we we get to see them in the hundred. And I think that will really show considering the players that will have, have come from around the world more so f- for that. That'll be exciting um, to see. Catherine and, and Sarah and Stair. Do we have any other associates that have been lined up? Uh, Time Muxu in the hundred. I had. There's a couple of cricketers in Thailand that I, I think would probably go okay at that. Or... Mm. Again, preaching to the choir here on the uh, in the listenership of the Emerging Cricket Podcast. One of the strangest stories I think we've seen in associate cricket of late, and one of the first I think COVID arrests related to cricket. More than 30 expatriates have been arrested in Oman for playing cricket in Al-Ansab in Muscat uh, in violation of the Supreme Committee's COVID-19 measures. Uh, That was according to the Royal Oman Police over the weekend. I don't think we've seen anything like this, Tim. And considering you're in a COVID-free land, it's probably unimaginable for for someone like you. (laughs) It, it, it was, i tell you what, I, I likened moving here to, to going to Mars in that, you know, flew, flew here to a place that you know, I'd been for a day on a schoolies cruise in 1999. I was in, you know, quarantine for two weeks and then wandered out into this world that I didn't, didn't know that just looked completely different to where I'd been. You know, not a mask, no social distancing anywhere. So... You're right. It is is completely different. But you no, know, I think you. I think you're right. Like we've not seen when that popped up in the news. I was like, I, I, I don't think that we've had any cricket arrests anywhere in, in the world. Um, but that sort of gets me thinking. So Oman still have these these lockdown rules, and we're sort of hitting hitting June. We've just seen this news recently that the ICC is considering moving the men's t20 world cup to the uae and there's whispers that oman are going to have put their hand up or jumped up and down to to host the the first round or how are they going to host that yeah well that was <laughs> confirmed to us as well that the rumors of all of that were, were true 
<laughs> yeah, it seems like it, it. It's a case of a of a double standard there. If that's what's going to happen. <sighs> yeah, I, I I didn't know that it was it, it was bad there, but geez, only only yesterday. Sorry, not yesterday. Didn't know it was it was it was that bad in Oman, or at least the the, the lockdown. But you know, you say that. Look at what's happening in Namibia. You know, a place that seemed to be pretty much clear, and now in the thousands of cases and going into lockdown as well. And we saw, you know, they had their um their pink uh, lunch and sort of women's tribute sort of week postponed. That it's just popping up. So I, I don't know what what do we think. I think with Oman facility at Al Amaret two grounds next door to each other i think one of them is approved for test cricket not not the other one but what do we reckon about that as a host for round one i think it makes a lot of sense i mean if they don't go around arresting the players but the um the 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 facility is really really good and uh, we you know we've already seen it run various uh, ICC tournaments quite successfully uh, you know, at a Challenge League, leg, World Cricket League back when that was still happening. Um, so, you know, I, I think it makes sense in terms of if you're going to have um, a, a, a first round so-called, uh, basically just another qualifier, but if, you, if you're going to have that before the main event, you know, UAE's right next door, um, just, you know, a few hours drive on the bus from Oman to the UAE. So, I think it makes sense geographically. It makes sense in terms of the facilities and even you know having a bubble uh, with with the players and whatnot. I think the facility is quite uh, remote. It's it's a bit out of town. It, it would be relatively easy to sort of keep everyone isolated uh, playing there. So I think it just makes a lot of sense to to play it there. And you know, especially with so much cricket happening in the UAE, we've got the PSL, we've got the IPL resuming, we've got presumably. This hasn't been confirmed yet, of course, but presumably the T20 World Cup um, is is going to be moved there. With you know India still uh, struggling a lot with with COVID, you know so much cricket being played in those Emirati stadia. I, I think just giving the the first round slash qualifier to Oman would would make sense in terms of just letting the pitchers have a bit of a rest before you know the the tournament because we don't want them to get too tired out. Um, and, and the, you know, obviously the facilities in the UAE are very good, but you know, that, that's a lot of cricket to be played on them. No, you're right. I mean, there's two groups of four, so that's you know six games over. Well, they sort of over, they play and then a rest day play, rest day play. So you play side by side on one and two. I, I, I was only thinking, you know, what are the other countries in the region? You know, Qatar has a national stadium that is that has a capability you know they were actually pitching for i think it was for psl one at at one stage and we've seen some i think it was a jersey who stopped there before the the t20 world cup qualifiers the men's team to mm. play some t20is against uh, the uh, qatari men's team I, I think that's probably the only other one but it does make sense for them to be there because it, it, it's there's not a lot of cricket in that first round but as you say it would take the stress off the other squares um in the UAE, unless they were to lock down the ICC Academy and play there as well under lights, and they've had um, TV cameras in there before. I think they've had the various T10 and T20 comps there uh, as an, another option too. And there's also the the Sevens Stadium um, in Dubai, a little bit out of town too, that could be another sort of lockdown potential. But uh, no, that, I think that's that's exciting for Oman. Just and also lucky for them as a as a competitor to to be playing at home as well. 
A couple of news points to round out the show this week. First, Germany's women's T20i series against France from the 8th to the 10th of July will be streamed by our friends over at the European Cricket Network. The teams will play two matches on the Thursday, one on the Friday, and another doubleheader on the Saturday. And also in Europe, Belgium have announced their men's international summer schedule. They'll travel to the Netherlands to take on a Dutch A side for four T20s on the 24th and 25th of June before travelling to Malta for five T20Is and hosting Austria for three T20 internationals in July. That's everything in the Emerging Game this week. For more, log on to EmergingCricket.com. But for now, on behalf of myself, Daniel Beswick, Tim Cutler, Nick Skinner and everyone at the Emerging Cricket team, see you next week.